toy lovers to another episode of toylines.com i'm your host tom romero with me as always is ian westoff hello everybody and we have a special special guest today with us the author of toys that time forgot mr blake wright how are you sir good man welcome so gentlemen what toys did you always want as a child or what do you think ip should have a reboot there's been tons of reboots now Masters of the Universe classics, Thundercats classics. I mean, what would you like to see? Or or do you have a secret wish of, you know, that one IP that never got a toy? My my toy line is a guilty pleasure movie from the early 80s that for some reason it's while it's not very good, well, <laughs> a lot of people love it and I love it. And but historically it hasn't gone over very well. And then when I found out when I was researching the first book that they actually were going to make toys for this, but then didn't, I was like, Oh, what could have been right. Mm -hmm. Crawl uh, from 1983. Yeah. When I saw that movie, I mean, obviously you saw they were pulling from Dungeons and Dragons and and Dragon's Lair. They were pulling from Star Wars or, but it was so, and to borrow a phrase from Bernie Loomis, the old Kenner boss, toy edic. I mean, it had, heroes it had villains it had cyclops it had horses with fire coming out of their hooves it had you know it was there were a lot of potential there was a ton of potential with 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 crawl Mm -hmm. now knickerbocker probably wasn't going to go all out Mm -hmm. uh they had i believe somewhere between eight and ten figures sculpted and they had a widow of the web playset that was concepted but never i don't think it was ever sculpted which is the part where in ear goes to the big crystal spider that comes out and they had that concepted and they had a what basically would have amounted to a nerf glaive that's that oh, star cool. thing right yeah the throw the weapon right okay. the boomerang type thing so they made the, they made one of those with like nerf tips on it um uh, and that was probably going to be all we saw if we even saw all of that you said um, um knickerbocker was the toy yeah character? yeah they, they did um lord of the rings didn't they right yeah so they had Eight figures there and two horses. What else did they do? Were they very were they well known or? Uh, you know they 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 did a lot of plush early on. Oh, okay. that, was, that was their big thing. That they as they slowly they were kind of late to the well, not totally late, but they weren't really into the boys' toys action figure game. They did they did uh, Lord of the Rings, which was miserable for them. That was a bad <laughs> experience. They did. I mean, I have documentation where they they showed interest in doing Dune. Oh, wow. uh, it would have been another disaster because LJN ended up doing Dune and it didn't do anything for them. And I think McFarlane now has the rights for the new Dune. The new one. Yeah, I think that's yeah. right. And so they also did the closest other action figure thing that they probably did was they did Annie, oh, wow. <laughs> which was uh, they were, I think, five or six inch figure slash doll hybrids uh mm-hmm. they did like daddy warbucks's car which was really cool and it's pretty rare uh mm-hmm. reserves. i think it was daddy warbucks's car yeah. um but they also you know uh, in the first book if you read the thing about mysterians they for all intents and purposes they were they beat hasbro to transformers yeah go back and read that chapter it's the first Four, four of the first six mini cars that that Hasbro did uh, for the G1 line came from Knickerbocker. They wow. had them already. 
But when Hasbro bought Knickerbocker, they inherited them. Uh, and the M's that appear on the hoods of like, and I'm forgetting who they're, Wind Charger and a couple of the other ones, all, they always thought it meant Microman because that's where they thought, you know, that's they would trace it back. But it really possibly could have been for Mysterians because that's what Knickerbocker was doing. Now, yeah. are you working on your third book now? I am. I know a lot of people are anticipating it. Yeah, um, will it I be am. another Kickstarter? Yeah, February of 2021 is the is the plan. But like we were saying before we started with the virus hampering my travel plans, I'm just hoping at this point that I'm able to get the material because I won't do it. I won't release it if it's not up to the standards of the first two books. I will wait it out. And with the first book, it was pretty much done when I went to Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. uh, the second book wasn't. It was about 70% done. And I didn't want to do that again because it took me until almost July to finish and get everything proofed, all that, and then get it to the printers. And then I was struggling to actually get it out in the same calendar year, which was always my goal. And we ended up getting the books delivered to our doorstep on December 22nd. And most of the Christmas holiday mm -hmm. shipping out books to Kickstarter backers. Volume, excuse me, volume two, you were, you were able to get Super 7 involved with the Toxic Avenger figures. How right. did that come about? Uh, well, I've known Brian for a long time uh, and he helped, Brian Flynn, and he helped with the Alien chapter in the first book um, because he had some of those early, those 70, the pieces from 79 because they, you know, that's how they got into all this reaction stuff was to bring back the the lost alien figures from Kenner in the 70s. And it just so happens that I was going to do Toxic Crusaders for the book uh, because there was a second wave of those figures from Playmates that didn't make it out. And I had a pretty good bead on both art and prototypes for that, for that wave. And then, so I reached out to Brian and said, hey, you know, what's the feasibility of doing something like this? And he said, it's really, we could probably do it, you know. How many do you need? You know, what are you looking at price-wise? So we worked it all out on the business end. And the one thing I said, I said, I really don't want them carded because that's going to get damaged when I ship it. Uh, or, or at least the, it would be heightened possibility. But I don't, I don't want them just baggied. So what can we right. do? And so we came up with the mailer box concept. Uh, so I don't have one with me or I would show you. Oh, no, no. I've seen one. Yeah. So they come in a white mailer box. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's actually addressed to Melvin Ferd, who is... Toxie's character in the movie, right. you know, Traumaville, New Jersey, or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. uh, the 1234 Newcomb Road, or whatever. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, actually, it's here, here's a piece of trivia. I'm from Harrison, New Jersey. Oh, yeah. There's a scene, I believe it's in the diner where Toxie loses his anger and uh, kills everybody. We actually used to go to that diner when we were younger. We would ride <laughs> our bikes there. <laughs> yeah, it's in Harrison, New Jersey. It's right at the end of Harrison Avenue. Right on. Yeah, so we were able to work it out, and you know we got them, and they're they're great. So it's my own colorway. It's a slime toxie variant. Mm -hmm. So he is he has his clothes on, but the figure himself, any limbs or head, is translucent green. Uh, so and it was a fairly limited exclusive, and so we were able to not only to give it to or to to offer it as a reward level, but you know, I knew I had extras. And so we would sell them as part of the post Kickstarter. Uh, anybody who missed out can still buy a Toxy or a volume two. Now um, for volume three, will you have any like extra figures like you did in volume two, or is that something you're working on or it's just a book this year? 
Uh, I'm still working on what the reward levels are going to be. If it makes sense for the figures, then then yeah, I would try it again. Of course, two years removed and with everything going on, the prices have probably gone up. So we probably have to make it, you know, as long as we can make it you know, economically viable, I would be willing to do it again. But again, I would want it to have some sort of link to some material that's in the book. So if there's a, I don't know, if there's another line that pops up in the book that uh, Brian has a license for, then I could say, hey, you know, can we do this again? And we would try to work out the, the numbers. And Super 7 is of a size to where, you know, they're flexible enough to where they can do stuff like that. I mean, it would be hard for me to go to Hasbro and say, hey, and there we go. Who are you? you know, <laughs> so, but Super 7 is the right size to where we could get something like that going. I, I even think probably Funko is too big. They probably mm. wouldn't even mess with me. If I wanted like a, well, maybe if I wanted a, enough, if I bought enough of a pop from them, <laughs> but I don't. I don't really like pops. Blake, I, I apologize. I haven't read your books, but I wanted to ask how you go about this researching your the figures that are going to go into it. Like, where do you where do you start with that? It usually start. I mean, the Internet's a wonderful source for this kind of thing. You can type in, go to Google, type in unproduced toys and click images and here they come. You know, you'll see okay. a lot of and that's a good place to start. So from there. You start trying to attach names to the projects. Sometimes LinkedIn actually was a really good source for former toy company employees. Now, LinkedIn is not a good source to reach out to talk to people, but they'll allow you to match up by who was there at what time. So maybe, and if you can find that person outside of LinkedIn, if you get an old phone number or an email address or whatever, and you reach out, probably, I don't know, 50 to 60% of the time, you'll get a you'll get an email back either saying, yeah, let's talk or no, I don't want to. Really, I don't want to mess with that. So, how, how was the interviewing experience? Did a lot of people were they willing to come forward, or did a lot of people shy away from it? Uh, yeah. I mean, most. I mean, I've had some folks say, you know, that's in the past. I'm not a part of that world anymore. And I mean, one of the motivations for me to start doing this when I did, because if you were 30 making toys in the 80s, you're 70 now. We're gonna lose these guys. And we've right. already started losing these guys. So if you don't get a microphone in front of them, Dory's gone. So that really that really spurred me to do it when I did, among other things. Because, you know, some I would see stuff pop up in on the news and I would get, man, I hope somebody talked to that guy before he passed away. When Keith Robinson, the father of Intellivision, passed away at 61 years old or whatever. I was just like, man, I hope someone got that guy's story. That would be a really cool, a really cool book. And I, he's done enough interviews where I think that that was preserved, but it's things like that where you realize, yeah, you better start talking to these guys because you're going to start losing them. I mean, a lot yeah. of my, there's some sculptor friends that I have that are, you know, in their seven and at least one toy guy that I visited who's out in California, who's 80, well, he was 83 when I visited him. So he's probably 85. So yeah, a lot of it has to do with time. Um, speaking of Intellivision, cover video games in your in your book? And like specifically, I'm you know, thinking about the the legend of like the uh, the Atari dump site. Have you ever covered that? With, with uh, all, all the ET I games? <laughs> I, I went to Alamogordo a couple of years ago yeah. and went and found, well, where the coordinates are for the dump, the dump's not there anymore. Uh, uh, it's just a barren piece of land. But I did go to the, there's a museum oh, yeah, in Alamogordo okay. that has a display. And it's a funny story because we went to, there's like a space museum there. And then there's like a, a county museum. So we went to the space museum thinking that's where all this stuff would be. And it wasn't because they had like a Star Trek toy thing happening at the time. We're like, oh, well, maybe that's where it's at. So we went and they're like, no, you want the other, you want the county museum. And it was like 4.45 and the place closed at five. And this was the only day we were going to be there. Oh man! We jumped in our car and hauled ass mm -hmm. down the street. Luckily, Alamogordo is not a big town, so it's just down the street. We got there, 
And we walked in and the woman was like, my wife was with me. She goes, sir, we're closing. And I was like, I understand that. I told her my story. I said, I write these books. I really want to see this. And she goes, oh, come in. So we, oh, that was nice. She actually walked us back to the display and she sat there and explained it to us, you know, how it all happened. And there's that documentary. Yeah. That I, forget it, it now. I remember Ernest Klein. Yeah. yeah Ernie Klein's mm-hmm. in it. Uh, Zach Penn did. And that's, you know, that got me interested in actually wanting to go to Alamogordo in the first place because I'd forgotten all about that. And if you read all of the newspaper clippings that are in the cabinet where the, where the artifacts are, the numbers actually don't add up. They, uh, you know, Atari had, there's something about like 13 trucks full of stuff, but Alamogordo waved them off after like seven or eight. So where'd the other trucks go? So we were thinking like, I wonder if it was like a midnight run across the border to Mexico and they just, okay, that was actually got me curious. It's like, hmm, I wonder where that stuff went. Yeah, and it yeah. wasn't all. Just, and it wasn't all just ET. It was with Superman and it, oh, it was, it was archives. It was it was old systems. It was yeah. old controllers. It was everything. They it just was, it was a warehouse in El Paso, and they just dumped it. It was a cool documentary to see because, like you said, it wasn't just ET. It was all the stuff, and I always thought it was just ET. And then you watch it, you're like, oh, that's a that's one of the joysticks, and this yeah, like, that's a that's a that's a fifty two hundred controller. What's yeah. Yeah, no, it was uh, it was really interesting, really enlightening, and and a very interesting story. And it's that kind of story that I'm attracted to for these type of books. I mean, I'm pursuing other pop culture type books beyond the Toys of Time Forgot. I mean, this third book is probably going to be the last in that series. It makes for a good trilogy, and there's other stuff that I want to do, and some of it I've already I'm already working on. So, would you ever release the? Uh... Toys at Time Forgot as like a, a three pack? That's been talked about, you know, with a nice slip cover, maybe. Yeah, that'd be cool. Uh, you know, countless, I get emails every day about reprinting volume one because we sold out. You know, mm-hmm. it was it was 2017 when we put it out and I sold through them probably halfway through 2018. We kept some, we kept 50 books back so we could pair them with volume two as a, oh, that's cool, as a reward level for the volume two Kickstarter. Was, we called it late to the late, late to the show or whatever. <laughs> So you could have both books, and those are the those are the last ones we had. So you kept you kept one for yourself, though. Oh yeah, no, okay, I, have, cool. I have mine. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but I funny story. I got contacted by a professor who works at Otis School of Design in California. Who ha- they know they have a toy program there, and she wanted both books because she wanted to use them in her class. And I was like. I don't have a volume one for you. I can send you volume two. And she was kind of distraught. And I was like, I, you know, there's not a lot I could do. And then I, I actually ended up taking my mother-in-law's copy. And then, oh, wow. To, uh, and which she wasn't happy about either. Uh, but yeah, I had to steal from my mother-in-law in order to give my, uh, to give the professor at Otis a copy of volume one. So, no, it is a, it is a beautiful book, but have you ever considered maybe like a PDF? The the problem with PDFs is once I do that, shows over. It'll be out there. So if I ever wanted to reprint them, reprint them, it's. I mean, if I ever want to keep monetizing Volume mm-hmm. One, I can't. I can't put out a PDF. It just it would it would kill it. Like if you wanted to put out a, a reissue of one, but with more stuff in it. We've talked about that too. I mean, I, I was approached by two publishers, one one small, one actually three, but one small and one very big about putting the books out, you know, beyond just the limited Kickstarter run that I've been doing. The problem is clearance. You know, I asked a, a lot of people before I put out volume one, should I should I go to these toy companies and ask permission to do this? Is it, is it better to ask for forgiveness or permission? And everyone told me forgiveness. 
every time. Because if you take it to a toy company and say, hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to talk about this part of your past. It'll sit on a lawyer's desk for months. And when you press them on it, the easy answer is no. And then that kills it. So instead of that route, I took the route of, I think that most people understand what I'm doing and understand that, you know, it's not a threat. A lot of this stuff I'm talking about is years and years old. It's like history in a way. Yeah. You know, my, my philosophy has always been, and this gets people pissed off when I say <laughs> it, but you know, everyone that collects prototypes and old, you know, unproduced stuff, and there's a ton of collectors out there that love this stuff. Um, that's stolen material. It is. I mean, there's, and people will argue with me about it till they're blue in the face, but that walked out of a toy company without the company's permission. Either the, either the company was closing down and they, you know, employees took it as part of their separation package or whatever, thinking that maybe they could sell it down the road. Or it gets thrown away and they guys go dumpster diving or whatever. But if they're going to, companies were going to have problems with me posting or, or publishing photographs of old prototypes that never made it out. My theory was always they should have kept better track of it when it was in their possession. Because, I mean, there's a market for this stuff and it's a pretty big market. It's getting bigger every day. But when you strip all the secondary stuff away, that stuff was never supposed to leave. Is it safe to say that most of your pictures came from collectors? Uh, the first book came from i mean a lot of toy companies have actually participated with in my book in, in the books uh playmates has been excellent they've been wonderful yeah um, your coverage on the turtles was amazing yeah all the, all the figures that actually never made it to production yeah i mean they they've been great uh, there's a couple of i mean super seven you know those guys who had access to some stuff have been great i mean the, but a lot of these companies like we said don't exist anymore ljn's not around anymore knickerbocker's not around anymore so you know what do you do with with that so you go talk to the ex-employees you talk to the sculptors that actually had the, the role to was to make the toy you know a lot of those guys if they retained the drawings you know they would get control drawings and that's what they based their their work off of so a lot of the first book came from ex-executives and sculptors and people who were in the business that way there was some collector some collector participation but again at the time no one knew who i was and, and these guys get approached all the time by people who either want to, you know, buy what they have or worse yet, steal what they have one way or another, you know, either not give them what the true value is or, you know, just actually walk out of the room with it. So, I mean, people have, I mean, that's happened before. I've had stories of guys who've hunted down, you know, ex employees or ex uh, or old sculptors gone to their house, knock on their door. And when the guy tries to close the door on them, you know, they stick their foot in the door. So, I mean, so that made it difficult for me. I had to prove first off that I wasn't a lunatic and that I wasn't after their stuff. I was after their store. So, and I would like to take pictures of your stuff. So that was how, you know, and once I, I was able to get in with a couple of, a uh, couple of folks, you know, with, with names in the business, you know, slowly but surely you get vouchers nice. and, you know, people will reach out and say, Hey, this guy's talk, trying to talk to me. He goes, yeah, yeah, that guy's, he's good. You know, you can talk to that guy. Right. He's not, this is what he's doing, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, so yeah, I mean, it's collectors stepped up quite a bit in volume two because they saw volume one and they realized, oh, this is what this guy's doing. Okay, well, yeah, come on over. So, I mean, I had collectors actually put me up for a weekend at their house, you know, <laughs> wow. because they were like, yeah, man, I got a ton of stuff. You, you know, I said, okay, well, I'll come and I'll stay, I'll stay nearby and and we could just hang out for the weekend. He goes, no, 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 man, I got an extra room. Come on over. So I'm like, all right, great. Less less money I have to spend. Sure, sure. Uh, can you tell us any of the ideas for your third book or are they still kind of like top secret right now that you don't want to give away? Yeah. I mean, it's, I've, you know, people have been after me like, what's the table of contents? It's like, yeah. I, I don't, I don't even know. yet. 
I mean, basically, I'm looking at somewhere between 40 and 45 lines. Wow. Wow. And only about 20 to 25 can make it into the book. So basically what it does, I make a big list, separate it out in those three sections like I do in the book. So there's the golden age, which is the 80s, the darker times, which is the 90s, and the gilded age, which is the, old, which is the aughts. And I put the lines in those. And slowly but surely, as more information about a single line shows up, you know, they kind of leapfrog one another. And whenever I cut all this off, whatever the top eight or nine in each category is, well, that's going to be the book. Because I don't want to sit on a line that I have a ton of information for, just like I don't want to put out a line that I don't have enough information for. Right. I've been trying to do tiger sharks since volume one. And I, it's hard. That is a tough line to get info on. But I can tell you it will be in volume three. It's been one of, it's been one of the lines that I've been after for a long time. I collected it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had them all on card for a long time. Uh, I don't have them anymore, but I, I did. And I knew they had a series two. And I was able to finally track down some stuff. Still not quite as much stuff as I had hoped, but I'm not done yet. Hopefully I will be able to put together a few more pieces and make that a compelling uh, entry. My goal has always been, if I can do a compelling six pages, then that's it'll be under consideration. I like to do eight and some 10 turtles. I think got 14, just yeah. because it's a turtle. Uh, so yeah, Tiger Sharks will definitely be in there. Uh, I am trying to put together a Masters of the Universe chapter, but I'm also trying not to duplicate what is already out there. A lot of these lines are just, just a ton of stuff out. G.I. Joe, you know, people have asked me about G.I. Joe. I mean, there are books about Joe and the guys, you know, the, Tons of guys who have done wonderful work with unproduced GI Joe. So if I did GI Joe, it would be it would be the stuff that Joe guys wouldn't be interested in. It would be Sigma Six, or it would be mm-hmm. Extreme. You know, one of those offshoots that Joe guys have historically not really been into. Have you done much based on Indiana Jones, like playing yeah. Doom or? Indiana Jones is actually in the running for, for three. Cool. Uh, I've come across a lot of very little, th- and some of the stuff that I some of the stuff was surprising to me, but. Indy might end up being one of those chapters like like I did in the first book for Soda. Because the first book, it just it wasn't about any one line at, at Soda Toys. It was just called The End of Soda. Because when they, when they went out, they had a ton of prototypes that they had just taken to Comic-Con and showed a, just a more now playing figures. There was a whole new reimagining of the Micronauts. There was all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And then Jerry came back from Comic-Con and got an unsolicited offer to buy the company and he sold it. And the rumor has it that all those prototypes ended up in the trash. So, you know, it would, so it would be something like that where it's not just one company. The, you know, I would try to talk enough about the Kenner stuff and then we would go into LJN maybe. We would go into, because there was a, there was a minute there where Galoob did some micro machines for it. Oh, uh, yes. For, and, yeah. and then I could talk about the modern Kenner or the modern Hasbro that there was a whole other wave of that stuff that, that never came out. There's even the, um, Disney Park exclusives. Yeah, there's that stuff. They had uh, like um I remember a, a G.I. Joe doll, but past a couple of years, but he was dressed as Indiana Jones. But I've only I only saw it one or two vacations there and I, I never bought it. Not yeah. a big I'm Jones not, fan, but I mean the material that I have, some of it is is related to just pitch items, stuff that was, you know, forwarded but just not taken much beyond the concept drawing. Right. Uh I have a sculpt of, a, of an Indiana Jones, of a 12-inch Indiana Jones head that, or the, a picture of it that um, a company that wasn't related to any of the licensors at the time decided that they were going to just pitch. It was during a downtime, probably between Last Crusade and, and Crystal Skull, that, that there wasn't any indie product. And so they were going to say, hey, you know, and they were having a meeting with, who is it, Universal? Who is it that has uh, Indiana Jones? Paramount. Well, now it's Disney, Paramount. but it used to be Paramount and right. uh, Lucasfilm, yeah. 
Yeah. So uh, they had some meeting. They were going to just say, "Hey, we have this. You're interested in this?" I was so disappointed. There was no Last Crusade toys when that movie came out in '89. Yeah, like, yeah. It's, it you know, two, com- uh, two companies had struck out on that license. You know, previously they just weren't really. I never understood why Indiana Jones didn't click. Yeah, uh, I, I like the yeah. Kenner toys. They're just so expensive now to get, but I kind of dig them. The only thing I have is the 12 inch uh, indie doll from Raiders. That's the only one I only collectible I have left of that. But um, yeah, I had them for a while too. I actually had, and I'm I'm not a big graded toy guy, but I actually had some graded Indiana Jones stuff at one time. I don't have it anymore because I'm not a big graded toy guy. <laughs> but so indie is uh, is on the list. Cool. And if I can put together something that I think people would be interested in seeing, uh, I would love to include it. That's very cool. Now you mentioned LJN. Did you discover any Thundercats items? There are, there are Thundercats towards the end of the line that that I mean, some were known, some some not, some have sculpts, some don't. So LJN was a company that, and the other thing that I wanted to do with the books was was try to introduce at least one entry from almost all the companies I you know that were in the that were in the ball game back then. And LJN had eluded me up to this point. I there was no LJN in volume one, there was no LJN in volume two. There will be LJN in volume three. Mainly because well Tiger Sharks, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a couple of other lines that I've been looking at from LJN. Are they still uh, around LJN? No. 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 They got sold to Acclaim in the ninety early nineties. Okay. Because an Acclaim wasn't in the toy business. They bought the video game assets. Right. But the whole company got sold, and that was it. So it's interesting what company buys what. Like I didn't know Knickerbocker was bought by um, Hasbro. Like you said, it's it's just always interesting. I, I just thought they went out of business, but you know, it's- well, it was a funny story because actually that negotiation started with Knickerbocker buying Hasbro. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. But it ended with Hasbro buying Knickerbocker, and then Hasbro. But you got to remember, this Hasbro. is the early '80s. There's a lot of toy companies that have gone through, you know, peaks and valleys. Yeah. You know, so, you know, they were trying to probably put together a package when companies were in, all these companies were in a bit of a valley to try to, you know, boost revenues or whatever. Yeah. Uh, because when you think about Knickerbocker buying Hasbro, that doesn't sound right. It doesn't, no. But back then, could have made sense. Yeah. So then Hasbro owns um, Kenner, is that correct? And uh, I think Tonka, did they buy? Yeah, because Kenner and Tonka were the same company. Which, That's right, yeah. You know, it was Kenner Tonka or Tonka Kenner or whatever it was called. It's one of those, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, because, you know, Kenner got bought by General Mills. They were owned by General Mills for a long time. And I think I think it was General Mills that sold them to Tonka. And then Tonka sold the whole thing to, like, Tonka, if I remember correctly, Tonka bought Kenner for, like, almost $600 million. And then they turned around and sold the combined company to Hasbro for $600 million. <laughs> Or something like that. It was like there was no uh, no premium, yeah, at all. If I'm remembering that correctly, I could be wrong, but it seems like that's about right. So, Ian, any toy lines you wish would uh, come back or ever created? Yeah, actually, um, one I kind of wish um, you're you know the scale better from Mezco, but they do those the 112s or whatever. I wish they'd make a Rocketeer. Two old toy lines. One I would love to see would be uh, like the Princess Bride, whether it be through the, the the reactions or if they made one in a day, just with the basic characters and maybe a play set of like Twist of Insanity. And then you can turn it around so you can have like where they had the sword fight. What I would really love, like I think though, out of all the 80s movies, like growing up, the one I would love the most would be from, from either childhood, if they did, or if they could do it now, would be uh, The NeverEnding Story. And for that, what I would really love to see would be like just the basic figures, the Treyu and Artex, the T-800 
teeny weeny was to do with the, the top hat with the racing snail, uh, the night hob, the flying bat, uh, the rock biter in the bike, childlike empress, the gamork, which is that big wolf, uh, which is voiced by Alan Oppenheimer, of course, Falcor. And maybe for a play set, it would be like Morla, the giant turtle, and uh, from the swamp of sadness. And maybe I kind of think of like the dig above play set where they had that like that cushion where you know R2 could sink in, and that's where our text could kind of sink. And then just to kind of like round it out, maybe like a mail away proof of purchasing could be uh, just a bastion sitting with the book. But uh, that, I mean, I love the movie, the never ending story. And I, I wish they, um, they made some kind of toy out of it. You have thought this through Ian. Congratulations. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I, I really have. <laughs> um, I, I did a uh, toy magazine online in 2014 called little plastic men, which was what other uh, toys at the time forgot spawned out of. And I did a, one of the stories I did in the, in the magazine was okay. Reaction. Here's what we want. And it was, uh, it was stuff like last starfighter and crawl and tombstone and caddyshack caddyshack would be cool uh, and and i think never ending story was was like an honorable mention but yeah it's uh it, it always surprised me and, and princess bride was one too yeah it's princess bride always surprised me you know there, there's been some one-off stuff done yeah, wesley yeah. in that or dread pirate roberts and that yeah. sort of thing but i can only guess that maybe it's kind of a licensing nightmare the same way crawl is a licensing nightmare because a lot of people just don't know what they own sadly and to get them to actually get off their keisters and find the paperwork to prove that they own it you almost have to go ahead and put out a product and have them come slap you with a c and d okay okay so you own it okay well let's talk you know it really is it's like that there was a story Mm -hmm. about a fire that was in la on like a dock like a dock fire And apparently a ton of paperwork related to licensing went up in this fire. And, and I don't know if that's true or not, but that's the story I've I've heard. And literally that was the paper trail that proved who owned what, now what it was doing on a dock in LA. I have no idea. Maybe it was just in a warehouse there somewhere, but no, I'm, I'm with you on princess bride for sure. And never ending story would be, would be interesting as well, but what it's, what it's going to take for all this stuff, sadly, we're going to have to see a reboot of, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, I, we I, had the, the, the Russo brothers recently said in an interview that they would reboot crawl in a heartbeat. So if we got a reboot of crawl, that's the way we're going to get old crawl toys, you know? And sadly, I don't want to see a reboot of princess bride. Cause I think it's a perfect movie. Yeah. Yeah. Same, same here, but that's how we're going to get that. That's how that's, that's the best first best way. I think I'd rather see animated version of the princess bride before another live action if that would be really cool yeah really Mm -hmm. cool and and in the age of coronavirus we're gonna see a ton of animation oh yeah i think think i can get done right now my my i guess my biggest hope ever for like never-ending story um would be like uh super seven there they they seem to always find the best stuff so if i think if anybody and i love their packaging because it makes me think of the old star wars toys if you know if anybody would i think if anybody can pull that line off it would be them but you know like you said we, we would need something to kind of like get that spark going back for it but it, it would be cool uh what do you got tom you have any toys from your past i would like to see a hanna-barbera herculoids action figure line Toynami did some pretty cool looking ones, but I think this is a great concept to revisit. A Swiss family Robinson on an alien planet with different creatures. You have Igloo, a rock ape. Zot, an alien dragon. Tundro, an alien triceratops-like creature that can fire rocks from his head. And I believe every creature should come with a human. Xandor, 
Dorno, or Terra. I would love to see the Four Horsemen do something with these characters. They can add so much detail and, and articulation. I think I think the Herculoids are ready for an updated version. But uh, as an honorable mention, I would love to see Bravestar. And I've talked to Brian Flynn about this, and he said the, he doesn't even know who owns the rights to Bravestar anymore. Coming back to that whole rights issue. It, I mean, it, that's it's, a real, real, it's a real issue. I mean, people, you would think that there would be, that wouldn't be an issue at all. It'd be slam dunk. Oh yeah, here's all the stuff we own. And yeah, it's, it's not that simple. And a lot of these, sometimes these rights are, are separated or are broken up between right. different companies and individuals. One of the main problems with Last Starfighter is that I think there are two to three parties involved. One of them, like the production company, owns the right to a sequel. Oh, that would have been cool. But, but the author, the original author of the movie, owns the right to the reboot or something strange like that. And both he and Gary Whitta, who wrote Rogue One, have been working on a Last Starfighter reboot. Uh, there was some art that got leaked, and they leaked it themselves, mainly just to try to get uh, interest about a year and a half ago that looked awesome. Um, telling a friend of mine about the last Starfighter, he let me his DVD and I was finally got to see the full movie. And I was like, this is really a cool movie. You know, the, the effects were great for its time, but I was like, they really could remake this. If you could see more aliens and then um, just the whole concept of like the video game being how they find their, uh, the, their pilot. If you read the book Armada by Ernest Klein, it, it's sort of like the last Starfighter. Right. I think ready player one, was a better written book but armada was an interesting idea for what he was doing and it, it took gaming and these people with them would go and defend you know defend the earth sort of last starfighter but but that would, that would be cool well that's the thing now they could uh, they could update it to where it's not an upright video game it's yeah. a downloadable game on your ps5 or whatever and some exactly. kid gets really good at it they use drones or something to, yeah know. and the next thing you know the spaceship lands in his backyard and here's robert preston although robert preston's dead <laughs> uh, you know they could uh, that's an easily that's an easily rebootable to modern times story uh yeah. and I, and i hope they do it because again that's going to be the way we get our vintage gun star if it happens that's going to be how it happens news this week's uh from seth rogan and even goldberg they are doing a new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles CG animated movie coming up it, right now. My only question about that is, does that cancel the live action reboot? From, from what I read, it does cancel it. Well, I think it also cancels it more because of the whole COVID thing, because people can like they can animate, they can even, <clears throat> excuse me, animate from home. Whereas right now, some things are picking up production and some things are still shut down. So I believe it is replacing the uh, the live action. But, you know, then again, they can turn around and still do a live action anyway. You never know. Also coming a Beavis and Butthead reboot from Comedy Central for two new seasons. Judge will be on board to voice both characters. But uh, here's the interesting part. It's going to take place in a Generation Z world. Beavis and Butthead going to translate into Generation Z, or are they going to be parents for... Generation Z parents like grown up versions, you mean? Yeah, I hope not. I don't want to see them have kids. I, I they're just funnier watching music videos, but they don't even have music videos these days. It seems I was yeah. curious about about that mainly because when I thought about a Beavis and Butthead reboot, mm -hmm. like isn't a Beavis and Butthead reboot just Beavis and Butthead again? <laughs> Do you really have to reboot that? 
but, but again, some you like you said, such a big part of that was the video. So. And didn't they try that already? They came out with a, a couple of years ago. Uh, are they going to be CG? Are they going to change the way they look? Are they going to, you know, I, I don't, I, Beavis and Butthead is Beavis and Butthead. I don't, yeah. I don't know what you can do with that. I mean, maybe they'll surprise me. Mike Judge is a, is a freaking genius. So if he's on board, Office Space is great. Then, I mean, he must have a plan. So that, it'll be very interesting to see how that pans out. Yeah, I have a lot of confidence in Mike Judge. I don't think he's going to let us down. This actually made the list of figures I would like to see. Clone High is getting a reboot from MTV. Well, they is MTV bringing going back more into animation again? But that like if they're bringing back Clone High, are they going to do more animated shows? It was from MTV, although they're not sure Clone High is going to be on MTV. It might be a CBS All Access show. Oh, okay. Because I remember they had where Beefs and Butthead came from was a show called Liquid TV in the nineties, right. and I, I used to love that show. Um, yeah, Frog Baseball. Week, um, yeah, Frog Baseball, and they used to have Stick Figure Theater. I mean, they did Night of the Living Dead and Stick Figures. They did Cyrano de Bergerac. It was just so great. Um, I, I'd love to see them bring back that. So I don't even know what's on MTV anymore. I don't even watch it. And, it's all it's reality shows. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I don't want to watch that. Reality's kind of that's why I like toys because yeah. And like I said, like we we mentioned earlier, man, it's all animation going forward. I mean, yeah. there are tons and tons and tons. I mean, to the point to where I've even looked at an old property that I did ten years ago. I said, you know what, that'd be a cool animated series. But right now, all these guys are blowing and going just nonstop. And it was like, you know, if I had the money, I'd start an animation studio right now. Oh, sure. Right now, because I would have. The work would just, they would be lining up at the door. You know, one of the things I'm surprised the most is that on YouTube, the Star Wars Kids channel, they do the uh, Star Wars Galaxy of Adventures. Mm. They're like a minute long with the original voices of the actors and clips from the movie. And I'm like, I don't know if it would just be like milking the franchise, but like, why not make an animated movie with these voices to that like anime style and just release it on Disney plus or something I would, I would love to see what they did because even in 60 second little short, they do, if they do a scene from the empire strikes back or whatever, it's just, they animate it so well and they add a little new things to it. And I was like, man, this looks so cool. So I, I would love to see that, but you know, maybe Disney will get back to doing some, some more animating. More about clone high. So the original creators, Philip Lord, Chris Miller of Legos and, Spider-Man in the Multiverse fame are teaming up with Scrubs creator Bill Lawrence for a new Clone High series. Now, according to this article from EW, it may be a new cast of historical figures. It may not even be the original. It'll be like Lincoln, Lincoln, right? He was one it of might, Yeah, it might not be Lincoln or Gandhi or Cleopatra. It might just be a whole new set of different people. And then uh, more animation news. Scott Pilgrim versus the world might actually be getting an animated series. So there's a there was a previous animated? There was, I believe it was three shorts they made. There were 15 minutes each. And I think you can find them on the DVD of Scott Pilgrim. I like, you know, the movie to me is like a live action animated video game. Right. So it's like, it would be interesting to see an animated film. Yeah. Yeah. I'd definitely be looking and I'd be curious to see who they get for voice actors too. Yeah. Yeah. They must be more in demand now than ever. 
Yeah. If, if animation is going to be going to be cooped up more, they can just record out of their house. Like a lot of them have a studio built into their house, you know, and the animators animate from there and so on. So lower decks, the CBS all access digital subscription service has announced that Thursday, August 6th will be the premiere episode of lower decks, the star Trek animated TV show. It's basically robot chicken on star trek so is except like, it's animated which enterprise is this first is it oh it's brand new everything's oh, new so it's not like kirk or picard no. or anybody okay i'm not, a, I'm not uh, a star trek fan so i'm not sure but i was just just wondering i think the the log line for that was something about the worst starship in the fleet <laughs> when you're following like or the most insignificant starship in the fleet you're following like four ensigns right. that are assigned to it Oh, they had the I red didn't know jersey. anything about that until that teaser popped up a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, they're making a Star Trek animated series. That's interesting. And then I saw what it was. And I was like, well, that's really interesting. Yeah. You know, I think maybe maybe it had something to do with the Orville being so popular. Comedy slash, you know, Galaxy Quest-y kind of thing happening. Yeah. And so Star Trek, you know, has, has the name in place. So why not give it a go with some characters that, attached to like Kirk or Spock or whatever. You don't want to see them buffooning those guys up necessarily, but some other, you know, some red shirts who you can just go out and kill. Right. Well, I know um, stupid buddy studios a few years ago had the same idea for star Wars and even George Lucas got involved. Detours. Detours. Yes. Oh, 38 episodes of that made. Was it Seth? uh, Seth Green. Green. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. That was right before Disney bought it. Yeah, yeah. They're in the can. They're done. They 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 previewed like three of them at Comic Con a few years back. Yeah. Uh, And there's footage out there, but uh, everyone's saying that we will never see them. Uh, Yeah, that's a shame. um, It was originally called um, May 25th, 77. And they kept lowering the title, but it's this live action movie about the day Star Wars came out. The main actor, I think it's John Francis Daly, who used to be in Freaks and Geeks. The main act, his main character, who's all in, he wants to do special effects. He's all into Star Wars, makes his home movies. It takes, it's one of those movies that takes place in one day, one day. And it's like, so the day Star Wars comes out and there's these big parties and this and that. And the guy who directed Angus, if you've ever seen that movie, Spaced Invaders? If you remember that with the the aliens, one talks like Jack Nicholson. Mm-hmm. Uh, this movie has been made for like years. It's, it's got Christopher Lloyd. It's got um, I think Colin Camp, and it's been shown at festivals, but it's never been like released. And it's not even uh, Lucasfilm. It's just I have no idea why this movie is not released, but it looks incredible. That's interesting though. Yeah, I remember I remember hearing about Detours. Pixel Dan's book, The Toys of Masters of the Universe, got pushed back to February 2021. Is there any reason for that that we know, like publishing things? Probably COVID. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's virus related. It's got to sting a little because you put so much, You, I guess, like you would understand that you put so much effort into a book and then you're all psyched to have it out and then it gets pushed back. That's got to, uh, yeah. And it, and it stinks too because he was really waiting for them to solicit it before he would talk more about it. So yeah. is he up to like not talk more about it now? Is he? No, he's been putting stuff out on Twitter, but uh, but yeah, this is kind of a big blow. Oh sure, all the way back to February. That would I mean, it, it would have been a great Christmas gift. Now it could be somebody's Valentine's gift. <laughs> and then our buddy Rob McCallum has announced for his action figure adventure, his live auction, which will be filmed, will take place on August thirteenth of this year. 
and you can read more about it or find out how you can bid on actionfigureadventure.com. I can't wait for this show to come out. I've, I've seen some footage. This film's going to be amazing. Cool. You know, it's about fans, for fans, and then hopefully we can get Rob on the show to talk more about it. That'd be cool. Yep. So thank you, Mr. Wright, for joining us on this episode. Oh, yeah, no worries, man. Had a good time. Uh, Always love to talk toys. <laughs> Definitely. Um, do you have anything you'd like to plug besides Volume 3? Anything coming up? Not really. I mean, we, you know, I should have been, like I said, I should have been traveling now. I, I was I was planning on doing a handful of shows because after we did Volume 1, we took a little bit of a tour and went out and did some shows and some book signings and that sort of thing. And that was something that I, we just, by the time it came time to start thinking about that, we got derailed just like everybody else did. So I will say that the book is still available. You can either still get it through directly through me or you can get it through Big Bad Toy Store. Uh, that's typically where I send my international customers because the book is expensive to send overseas. Uh, now you can get your book directly from you through your Facebook page. Yeah. If you go to facebook.com slash toys at time forgot, there's a pinned post at the top. that will give you the instructions on how to get either a copy of the book or a toxic or both. Yeah. And we are, I'm about 70 to 70 five percent sold through on volume two so it probably won't last the year or just last the year maybe i haven't decided whether or not i'm going to put aside another little tranche in order to get if somebody wants two and three in the february kickstarter although since i don't have any ones anymore maybe that's i I don't know yet we're still trying to figure that out right Uh, and just so because people always ask about volume one. When are you going to reprint it? When are you going to reprint it? When are you going to reprint it? Well, reprinting volume one costs money. We had talked about doing a Kickstarter for a reprint, and that's not fully off the table. But just because of everything that's been going on, we've kind of, I've decided to put my, the, the focus of my extra time on completing volume three and that we would pick up the idea of going forward with a reprint of volume one after the volume three kickstart. I don't, I don't not want people to have this book. I want people to have volume one. It will get done. It's just going to take a little time. I am planning on possibly putting in, like Ian mentioned earlier, extra content. Cause you may look, uh, if you have a volume one and a volume two, volume two is a, about 16 pages, I think long, bigger than volume one. So I would add, you know, basically that same kind of page count, either through adding content to existing chapters or perhaps a whole new bonus chapter. That's cool. Just to make it different from the Kickstarter reward, give it a different color scheme, uh, make it, you know, so the the Kickstarter stands out as something that was its own thing. So, yeah, we are definitely still trending in that direction and it'll get reprinted it's just a matter of time and i understand that people are, are anxious and they're eager to get it now and if if i could make that happen i would but i, I got to take one step at a time here yeah uh, and get yeah it. it's a great book if you haven't picked it up yet and you love toys this volumes both one and two fantastic i mean the the amount of work he's put into this book is just incredible i mean you should take a bow, sir, because you've done an incredible job. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, the whole concept was I wanted a book that I could be proud of and that collectors would be proud to have in their collection. That was it. That was that was the motivation. So I didn't want to do paperback. I didn't want to do 
you know, an ebook. I didn't want to do, I wanted a solid hardback, nice presentation mm-hmm. stuff, with, you know, something that you would be, like I said, proud to display in your own collection. Yeah. And, you know, your coffee table or something like that. Yeah. And I've been to a handful of collectors homes, you know, post volume one. So I was invited to a party after a Cincinnati toy show a couple of years ago that I didn't know the guy whose house it was, but some po- folks vouched for me and I showed up and, just walking around his, you know, man cave, and there was the bookshelf, and there was my book. That must feel great. Oh, that's awesome! There's no feeling like that in the world. <laughs> and I was just like, "There you go. That's that's what I was after." Nice. So since then, I've, I've I've run into that a couple more times, and it's been uh, it's been really cool. And I'm just happy to have been able to you know to have the support and the participation and the Kickstarter backers. I mean, none of this would have been done without them, you know? And so hopefully they'll come back for volume three uh, and anything else I do going forward, because I, I have plans. It's just a matter of getting them done. Well, thanks again to Brian Salvatore for our music. And please remember, you can find us now on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Podbeam. If you want to be a part of the conversation, you can email us at toyspodcast at gmail.com. Once again, thank you, Mr. Wright. Yeah, guys. Play with your toys. That's right. Stay safe.